Reform. Reforming the parent, transforming the child. Welcome to the Parent Reform Podcast. Our mission is to inspire, encourage, and equip you to raise your children for the glory of God. If you ever attend one of our conferences or parenting classes, you will hear us say that your parenting is truly empowered when it is done as an act of worship. And I believe that is the heart of godly motherhood, that godly motherhood at its core is really an act of worship. And I'd like to talk about that today. This past Easter, I felt led to dig through the different gospel accounts of the events that took place before Jesus' crucifixion. And one of those events was something I just decided I needed to do a deeper dive on and really meditate on because it is an example of amazing, extravagant worship. I've taken a little liberty here, and I've taken the three gospel accounts of this beautiful scene and woven them together just to get a full depth and breadth of this account of worship. And then what I'm going to do is after I read it, we're going to dissect it together a little bit, and then we're going to make some deeper application as far as motherhood goes. Now, while Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. And as Jesus was reclining at the table, Mary came with an alabaster flask, a very costly ointment, of pure nard. She broke the flask and poured it over his head, and she anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped it with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. When the disciples saw it, They were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, Why do you trouble this woman? Leave her alone, for she has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Now, let's consider the setting for just a minute. This story is taking place just six days before Jesus' crucifixion. This would be the last Sabbath supper that Jesus would have before his horrific death by crucifixion. And it's noteworthy to consider where Jesus chose to spend his last Sabbath. Think about it. He could have spent his last Sabbath teaching in the synagogue. He could have spent it preaching to thousands of people. He could have spent it healing the sick or in the wilderness alone in prayer because Jesus had done all these things. But Jesus is intentional about everything he does. And there is no doubt that he was intentional as to where he chose to spend that last Sabbath. And he chose to spend it in a home, gathered with his closest friends. These friends were considered really like Jesus' family. And he spent it gathered around a table, sharing a meal with those closest to him, and enjoying the sweetest of fellowship. 
Let's talk about the people. This beautiful story takes place in the home of Simon the leper, which all commentaries say that Jesus had to have healed him as lepers were totally considered unclean and Simon would have totally been isolated. So this was Simon, the former leper, Simon, the leper that Jesus had healed. And then there was Lazarus, who Jesus had recently raised from the dead, sitting at table, enjoying a meal there together. And there were also Lazarus' faithful sisters, Mary and Martha, who all were followers of Jesus. And then there are his disciples, those in Jesus' closest inner circle. Can you imagine the conversations that they were having at that table? Wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the wall and listened in that night? Let's talk about what is unfolding at this scene. Martha, it is stated, and we are certain most likely Mary, were busily preparing and serving the meal. Both of these women are faithful servants. And while this isn't stated directly in this account, There is definitely the feeling that they are serving joyfully and these women are practicing hospitality. Beautiful, glorious, God-exalting hospitality and they are facilitating this beautiful meal for their Savior and His friends. And nowhere in this account are they grumbling or mumbling that they're the ones that have to do all the work while the men are there enjoying. And I'm sure at some point they are enjoying the meal with them. But these women are the facilitators They are the hands and feet that are making this possible and truly being a blessing to their Savior. And then, out of nowhere, enters Mary, carrying this beautiful alabaster flask of extraordinary expensive oil. Scripture states that it was worth 300 denarii, which was equivalent to one year's wages. And translated in our day, that was probably worth tens of thousands of dollars. This was most likely a very prized and precious family heirloom. So Mary walks in quietly and humbly, yet with great intention. Mary is not uncertain. She's not biting her fingernails, wondering if what she's about to do is the right thing. This woman is confident in what she's doing. There's also no big hoopla, no big celebration, no big pomp and circumstance in what she's doing. There's no big announcement. Mary is not sitting there taking selfies to put on social media. And even though there are many gathered in this room, what Mary is about to do, she is doing for an audience of one. Mary breaks open this beautiful flask and therefore it is never going to be used again. She doesn't hold back. She completely pours out this very expensive oil and she lavishly anoints Jesus' head and feet with it. And then Mary does something truly stunning, something that the culture would have found to be probably very scandalous. Do you know what Mary does? She unpins her hair and lets it fall down. And then she gets on her knees and she wipes Jesus' feet with her hair as she's wiping that beautiful fragrant oil all over his feet. Think about it. In the breaking of the flask and pouring out of the oil, Mary sacrifices her most prized earthly possession. And in the taking down of her hair 
and wiping Jesus' feet with her hair, she sacrifices her reputation. She sacrifices her earthly possession. She sacrifices her reputation. This, my friends, is a profound picture of worship. Worship is humble sacrifice driven by deep affection and God-centered love. And you know what? I think that is a description of godly motherhood. Godly motherhood at its very heart and core is humble sacrifice driven by deep affection and God-centered love. Let's talk about everybody's reaction to what Mary did in this account. What about the guests? The guests, they were not praising Mary. They were not standing in worship with her. They had a completely opposite reaction. They were indignant. This is what they said. They said, why this waste? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. They even publicly scolded her for what she did. And you know what's interesting? That nowhere in these three accounts does Mary even respond to their words. She doesn't recoil. She doesn't get her feelings hurt. She doesn't start crying. She doesn't defend herself. She doesn't write a clever response on social media to put them in their place. Mary is on a mission. She is doing what the Holy Spirit has called her to do. And again, she is doing it for an audience of one. She's not doing it for those people in the room. And so therefore, she doesn't really care what their response is. She's doing it for an audience of one. And she is completely undaunted and unaffected by what's going on around her. Now, by contrast, let's consider what Jesus' response is to Mary's actions. First, he says to those naysayers sitting at that table, leave her alone, leave her alone. And then Jesus shares three profound truths that are his conclusions of her actions. And he's telling this to the guests First, he says, she has done a beautiful thing. Secondly, he says, she has done what she could. And thirdly, he says, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what Mary has done will be told in memory of her. I think it's noteworthy to consider that Jesus praises Mary to her guests, but Jesus does not praise Mary directly. Why? Why is that? Why didn't he direct his praise to her? I've, I've thought about this, and here is my conclusion. You know what? I think it's because she didn't need it. Because Mary did not need to hear Jesus say to her directly these things. And you know why? I think it's because Mary's heart is so absorbed in this act of worship to her Lord that she is so confident in what she's doing. And by the way, her confidence wasn't in Mary. Her confidence was in her God that she felt his good pleasure. And therefore, she didn't need to hear his praise and affirmation. It was already in her heart. She knew she was doing the will of her father, and she knew he was well-pleased. And so she did not need to hear his verbal commendation to her. I'd like for us to take some time, just a few minutes here, and make some personal application to those three profound statements that Jesus says is true of Mary. First, he says, she has done a beautiful thing for me. 
If you and I were in that room and witnessed Mary's actions, I wonder if we would see it as a beautiful thing for Christ, or would we see it as the guests did, wasteful? I've pondered that. I've pondered that deeply. I want to have the Lord's eyes. I want to have His heart. I want to have His eyes and not that of the culture around me. Let's consider that in light of godly motherhood. Do you see it as beautiful? Do you see it as having eternal value? Or have there been elements of the world in our culture that have influenced your perspective? It is so easy for that to happen. It is so easy for the culture and the world to infiltrate our hearts in ways that we don't even realize. Now let me ask you this. Do you ever see godly motherhood is how the guests saw Mary's form of worship? Do you ever see motherhood as a waste? Maybe as a waste of talent, as a waste of time, as a waste of your precious resources? Do you ever see motherhood as a waste of energy, a waste of your earthly, youthful years, a waste of your intellect? Do you ever have those passing thoughts that you could actually be doing something so much better, so much more significant with your life right now? Secondly, Jesus said, she has done what she could. Mary, in that moment, poured out upon Jesus her most prized earthly possession. And you know what? She wasn't going to get to replace it. And she didn't hold back. She poured out everything on her Savior. She didn't question her decision. She wasn't uncertain. She was confident. And she did all she could do. She poured it all out. She gave Jesus her all. In your role as a godly mother, are you holding back? It's easy to do that. It's easy to go into self-preservation. It's easy to hold back and think to yourself, it's not worth it to give it all in this area of my life. How about how you spend your time, how you spend your resources, your energies, your affections? Do you feel like you're doing what you can with a clear conscience for your family? Do you see them as your primary ministry right now? And let me be clear, in doing all you can do, I'm not talking about this in the way of earthly provisions for your family. I'm not talking about providing for them amazing housing, a perfect bedroom, stellar clothing, the most amazing education or extracurricular experiences. And while these things are important, they are not the most important in giving it our all in motherhood. Right now, the most important doing for your children is the nurturing, discipleship, and training of their hearts. Could Jesus say of you today, In your ministry of motherhood, she has done all she could do. And thirdly, Jesus ends this amazing scene with these words, which I'm sure totally silenced the guest. He turns to them and he says, And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what Mary has done will be told in memory of her. Think about it for just a minute. This story took place over 2,000 years ago and thousands of miles away of where I'm recording this podcast. And right now, you and I are remembering Mary. We're remembering what she did for her Savior. 
And so Jesus' statement is true. We, were st- we are still remembering what she did. And while the guests saw Mary's actions as a total waste, Jesus rebukes them and shares that from his vantage point, which is the perfect vantage point, that what she did was so valuable, so precious in his sight, so God-exalting, that she would be remembered forever for this act of worship. So let me ask you a bit of an uncomfortable question. How often do you consider how you and your works, namely motherhood, will be remembered? Do you know that with each passing year, I think about this more and more? Scripture says I'm supposed to think about it. In Proverbs 90.12, it says, So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Your days are numbered and my days are numbered. Do you consider how you're filling up those days, how you're spending those days. If the Lord took you home to be with him today, how would those closest to you, namely your husband and your children, remember you? How would they remember you? And my next question is, how do you actually want to be remembered? And my last but most important question is, Would you get the same answer to both of those questions? Would the way your family remembers you right now be the way that you actually want to be remembered? Over the past several years, the Lord chose to take home two friends of mine who were very dear to my heart. Their deaths were very unexpected and untimely, and they left a void for their families that I cannot even begin to describe. My friend Dawn left behind a loving husband and 11 precious children. The youngest at that time of her death was six years old. And then my sweet friend Allison left behind a loving husband and five precious children. And the youngest at the time of her death was only weeks old. These women did not realize that their end was right around the corner. Yet when I considered the testimony of their lives, it's as if they knew their race would end soon, that they knew that their days were numbered, and therefore they ran their race hard and faithfully and for the glory of God. These women sought the face of God. They laid down their lives, and they poured themselves out through their godly service to their families. These women loved their husbands deeply, and they trained their children faithfully. These were women marked by integrity and a clear conscience and a God-centered mindset. The fruit of their labors was evident to all who knew them, and they will be remembered for this, and no doubt for future generations. And while Don and Allison loved their families faithfully, their service to them was done for a much higher cause. They were motivated for a much higher reason. They did this as a form of loving worship to a faithful God. I'd like to go full circle with this and remind you of the first statement that I made at the beginning of this podcast. Effective parenting is empowered when it is done as an act of worship, 
And godly motherhood at its very heart is an act of worship. I want you to consider your daily routine in your season of motherhood. And might you consider doing this as an act of worship? Think about the mundane things. At least in your mind, they may seem mundane in what you're doing. In your diaper changing. In your making of yet another meal. In your waking up in the middle of the night to feed that hungry baby. In the doing the never-ending pile of dishes. Washing of the never-ending mounds of laundry. In the correcting yet of your strong-willed toddler. In the potty training of your very uninterested two-year-old. In the changing challenges of your preteen who's going through puberty. In the many conversations that you're having with your teen. In the helping with the homework of your student. In the never-ending traveling back and forth for the activities of your child. May I challenge you to have a heart like Mary and to do these things, these faithful actions of mothering as an act of worship and done with an audience of one. Psalm 34.10 says, But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. In the days ahead, I'd like to encourage you to seek the Lord, to spend time searching your heart and seeking His face. Would you ask of the Lord first to slay and take away any hypocrisy and any duplicity in your life so that you can mother with the greatest of integrity? Would you ask the Lord to reveal any hidden sin that you can repent and confess that you might mother with a clear conscience. Next, would you ask the Lord to help you to see where you're struggling with uncertainty, where you're lacking confidence in your mothering? Next, would you ask the Lord to show you where you're holding back and unwisely stewarding your time so that you can begin mothering in a way that Jesus can say of you, she has done a beautiful thing. She has done what she could. And lastly, would you consider to make your mission of motherhood one that will leave a legacy of God-glorifying remembrance impacting future generations? Thank you for listening. We hope you found this podcast helpful as you seek to parent your children well for the glory of God. For more information about Parent Reform, please visit our website at parentreform.com. There you'll find more parenting resources. You can also sign up for our newsletter and Q&A emails. 